0: This is the Big Issues Better Pod, acting today for a better tomorrow.
1: I think it's really important that we create a safe environments. And that doesn't literally mean physical buildings. It's like mentally, emotionally, psychologically safe environments.
0: After losing his mum, Hussein Manoir struggled with depression, but through the support of his family and friends and the power of poetry, he found a way through. His global fan base now includes the likes of Oprah Winfrey and Prince Harry. He joined BetterPod for an emotional conversation about tackling grief and building a society that's better for our mental well-being. A warning for listeners today, we will be discussing issues around suicide later in this podcast. I'm Laura Kelly, Future Generations editor at The Big Issue. With my team of exciting young journalists, we're striking a blow to make the media less elite and more representative of society.
2: I'm Naomi Forbes, I'm 24, and I'm part of the Future Generations team. I'm just so glad to be here and be part of the Future Generations team because I was a teen mum and people like me don't usually get opportunities to work in the media. So, Naomi, tell me about what you took away from our conversation with Hussein. The main thing I took from it was the importance of therapy. But therapy can be anything. It doesn't necessarily have to be traditional therapy in a room with a man with a clipboard. It can be poetry, it can be artwork, it can be exercise. And I just believe that Hussein reminded us of the importance of just taking time to to look after yourself and particularly your mental health.
0: Thank you so much for joining Naomi and I, Hussein. It's really good to see you. Thank you very much for having me. Your debut poetry collection invites readers to come with you on your journey through depression and grief and out the other side to a better place. In the wake of coronavirus and the trauma of the last couple of years, um, I think it's a journey that will resonate with many of our listeners. You've called it Life is Sad but Beautiful. Tell us a little bit about what that title means to you.
1: Yeah, so... So it's called Life is Sad and Beautiful.
0: Oh, I'm sorry.
1: No, no, it's all good. It's all good. Yeah, the title is basically from a place of, I really found that life is sad and it can really be sad at times. But if you work at it and you really have to work at it, your life too can be beautiful. And um, it's from all the sadness that I've gone through that I was able to create beautiful things from my life. And whilst experiencing them beautiful things, I had to remember, it's because of the sadness that I was able to do that. So that's what I thought. I found myself saying it a lot. Life is sad and beautiful. Kind of like when people ask you how you're doing, I'm just like, yeah, I'm good, but I can't complain. It's like it was kind of like that. So um, that's how the title Came around.
0: I guess there. I I slightly misspoke, so I apologise for that. But it maybe does actually tell you something interesting, right? Because um, it's the the different. There is a difference between but and and. And you've kind of talked a little bit about that. So I guess does that mean to you that it's both at the same time, rather as, as opposed to those being opposites?
1: Well, you know what's really interesting is um I was never good at English language in school, so my book is full of spelling mistakes. So, I love the fact that people like myself make mistakes and get things wrong. And because it does what it's meant to do, like here right now, it's opened a conversation. And sorry to digress a little bit away from the question, I'll come back to it. But I feel like a lot of the time, people don't pick up a pen or don't get involved in artistic things because they feel like they're not going to be excellent at it. And I really feel as if. For me as a writer, in my book it says the word preface or preface and in brackets underneath it I put, I still don't know what this means. And (laughs) I feel like I've addressed many things in the book that I never really understood and I still don't understand. So um, to answer your question, the difference between and and but, I still struggle with it.
0: That's fair. I think, um, yeah, I think that's interesting though. De- definitely, to me, the the choice of and is is meaningful. I think so. Um, yeah, thanks for thanks for correcting me.
1: <laughs> thanks for even looking into that. That's that's really nice of you. I lo- and that's what I hope the book does. I hope people look into the poems and not just take them as face value.
2: So the loss of your mum in two thousand and seventeen has obviously had a huge impact on you. Um, is there any chance you could tell us a bit about her? Um, I know it's something that you write about a lot.
1: Yeah, she um, was a very special woman in my life. And I'm fortunate enough to have had a mum in my life because I'm friends with people that, that didn't. So I, I remind myself every day of how lucky I was to experience a loving mother to begin with. Um, she was born in Barking. Uh, she grew up in Dagnum and she was a character she was she was very funny um she was an incredible cook and she always always pushed us always pushed us to do well to do our best um to get out there to see the world to make sure we brush our teeth before we go to sleep um make sure your smile is always nice and on display um yeah she was an Incredible woman, and I'm just so fortunate enough to have had a mum like that, and that's why I call myself the original mummy's boy because um I feel like she's still here for me, and that's I feel like after she passed in order to continue with my life i have to I have to reconfigure my mind to believe she's still here, and I still live as if she is still here, and that helps me get through every day of my life. Um, because grief is hard and heartbreak is tough. And there was something somebody said to me once. It was my brother, and he read it somewhere, and he said, mum can teach you everything, but she can't teach you how to live without her. And having heard that, I was like, yeah, it's true. It's very true. So um, it then brought a lot of things into context for me growing up when my mum lost her mum. I never understood because at that point I still had a mum. And you don't ever understand what grief is like until you lose somebody that you loved. And then then but the good thing about her, or well, the best thing about her, if I was to think of one thing, was that she did her best to prepare us for when she's no longer here. And when I say that, I say she always used to say every day of her life, When I'm no longer here, I want you to cry and get over it. You must get over it. You must continue with your life. You have to cry and you must get over it. And um, with that being said, I thank her so much for giving me them words because it was them words that went on to save my life and help my mental state of mind.
2: That's so nice to hear you know you have you've obviously talked about how important it is to talk about death and bereavement so hope that you won't mind us kind of asking you to take us back to the moment when you actually lost her. Um, Do you remember just exactly how that hit you?
1: So when my mum passed um, she had a sudden brain aneurysm so it was very quick there was no prior warning there was nothing that can never prepare you for any type of grief, really. Um, and my dad followed me, and I came home, and she had sadly passed at that point. And I remember, I think one of the hardest things was seeing my family's reaction to it. So her sisters, my grandma, who's still alive, um, my dad's mom, seeing her siblings react to this, because I feel like as a as her child. I kind of went into like a project manager mode where I was like, oh, is everyone all right? Is everything okay? But even though it's not, you're trying to like hold the jelly in your hand that's falling through your fingertips and you're like, let me try to just reclaim anything. back." So it didn't actually hit me until after the funeral. After the funeral is when I really, I really broke down. Um, but yeah, seeing... Seeing that side of the way my mum's siblings reacted to her passing was equally as just as sad as losing her. To be honest,
0: yeah, I have to I have to say, saying I lost my dad recently, and that you talking about becoming project manager has really hit home for me. That's um, that really that sounds so familiar to me. I wonder though once it did hit you um how did then you find a kind of a path out of that grief and how long did that take for you
1: Firstly I'm so sorry to hear about your dad thank you and I hope I hope you you and your family are are doing well it's it's really it's really hard to go through these things but I admire the fact that you're here having this conversation and it's really it's really beautiful um so I remember what happened was, and it's kind of funny when I look back on it. I don't know if any of you ever have cutlery in your house that you only use for like special guests or special people. And um, so basically, my mum had this cutlery that we was never allowed to use on a day-to-day basis. We were saving it for for, for these special guests that never actually arrived. <laughs> and um, I remember when she passed, I was uh, after the funeral I was sitting in the garden on the step. And somebody was like, oh, Hussein's not eating. Someone make him some food. And then an auntie of mine made me food, but she put it on the special plate. And I looked at her and I was like, you're not allowed to use that plate. And she was like, what do you mean? And I just started crying. And everyone was like, what happened? And I'm like, she used the plate. <laughs> and um what hit me was that in that moment I realised she's no longer here because there's other people in her kitchen going through her drawers going up the stairs in the house going into places in our house that you're not allowed to go stop it stop it just stop just... and in that moment it all just hit me and um, I remember honesty was one of the biggest things that really saved me I had to my best friends were there, and I had to call them. And I was like, "I'm struggling so bad. I can't sleep. I'm having panic attacks." I phoned the police at one point because I was in such denial, and I filed a missing persons report.
0: Oh, I'm so sorry. Because
1: I was that you know, I was that deep in it. I was like, "Oh no, I don't believe it. I just buried her, but I didn't believe it." And um I was like, "Oh no, I don't know where she's gone. She's ran away somewhere. Oh, we need to find her." And um, so, yeah, it took me a long time. And then I started writing. And then my friend, two of my friends actually stayed round. They were kind of on rotation, sleeping around in our house, luckily. And my little sister had her friends there, which was nice. And um, just writing, writing, writing. I just wrote my way through absolutely everything. And um, even, even just right now, uh, right above me, I have a printout of a WhatsApp conversation from her where she says, um, uh, I'm going to buy you some mangoes and watermelon because I'm missing you and the house is quiet when you're gone. And little things like that, they they still hit so hard. But um, it was the writing that saved me and the words. And I hold on to the words so much of the conversations that I had. And that, that I try and tell myself all the time is such a blessing because I know people that have lost people. They have no photos of them. They have no videos of them. They don't have the sound of their voice. And for me to have that is a it's a blessing. And I uh, I just you just hold on to it. There's a Professor Green song called Photograph with Rag and Bone Man. Have you heard I don't know if you've heard it and he says, I wish that I could have yeah. had more photographs of us and it's just such a powerful, powerful piece of art. Um, I know we're going to talk about that later, but that came to mind because also songs and um, music and art really, really helped me. I've had some good cries, some very good cries to My Heart Will Go On, some very good cries. And I just want to say, once you That is a classic
0: of the genre. The classic of (laughs) the genre, (laughs) mate.
1: And it's like, it it hits you each and every time and it helps to release all the tears that need to come out. And I, I encourage people to cry. I don't believe we should suppress how we're feeling.
2: So you're obviously a huge mental health advocate, Um, how did you get to that stage, how did you actually become a mental health advocate?
1: I think by default I may have always been one, um, from as long as I can remember when I wasn't being a teenager. I just really felt that education on a subject matter that we know nothing about is really the best thing that we can give back to the world because we encourage people to talk about mental health. We encourage people to speak about these matters. But number one, not a lot of people feel comfortable about speaking. And two, we don't actually know what to respond to people when they do actually tell us what their situations and problems are. And also coming from the community group of people I come from, being British Pakistani, There's a poem in the book actually called um, Cultural Identity Crisis, which is all about not knowing who you are, but kind of knowing who you are, but being torn between worlds. I've learned from my own experiences to always be more empathetic. And just because I've went through depression and I've managed to come out of it, I still need to be just as empathetic as I was when I was experiencing depression. It's very easy to like graduate from depression and think, oh, yeah, like I don't ever need to go near there again. Do you know what I mean? But it's like, no, you can't. We have an obligation and a duty to, to you know, in Relay, they pass the baton. On. I kind of feel like it's like that. you got to pass the baton. On. And there's a whole chapter in my book called Destroying Depression. And um, yeah, I kind of feel like it was always in me. It just took life to hit me, to bring it out of me.
2: Well, I think you're right. It is so important that you know, you know that you've got that knowledge to help other people when you've been through it yourself because, as you said, it would be so easy to say, right, I'm out of it, so I'm done. But to actually go back and want to support others yeah. is, is amazing, yeah.
1: You just don't know. One thing you say could save or change someone's life or mindset. And that's the thing. Everyone's looking for them little gems, them them signs in life. And you don't know, it could be something anyone says at any time that helps.
2: You've worked with some really big names like Oprah Winfrey, Prince William, Prince Harry, um, Marcus Rashford, um, Tyson Fury and the FA and that's literally just to name a few. Um, Why do you think your work has resonated so widely?
1: I've had so many walks of life in my life. I've worked in supermarkets, I've sold double glazing, I've been a TV extra, I've went to university and studied a degree in construction. Like I've, lived so many different careers that I was able to develop an understand an understanding, sorry. And I feel like that understanding combined with the vulnerability, if as long as you're willing to be vulnerable, people will connect to you. And I always kind of say to people, I don't think I'm an expert in what I do. I just think I'm willing to be vulnerable. And being vulnerable is what allows Is what allows people to connect regardless of who they are, their status in in the world and life and everything. Um, Because it's just as important to me to do that work, to also work in schools and colleges and prisons and um, youth groups. It's just as important. And um, because everyone deserves the chance to be connected to something that makes them feel vulnerable. And sometimes you just need poetry or or whatever it is to help you unlock that, that part of you.
0: Coming up after this message, why is mental health an important part of the conversation about how we can act today for a better tomorrow? Did you know you can get the Big Issues Award-Winning Journalism through your door every week? As a Pod listener, you can sign up to get a four-week subscription to the best in news, politics and culture for just £12. And we'll even throw in a stylish tote bag for free. Go to bigissue.com slash bigpod to find out more. We we talk a lot in this podcast about the changes that we can make today for a better tomorrow. Why do you think that it's important that mental well-being is part of that conversation?
1: Because there, there is definitely... Definitely a huge shift in our behaviour patterns in how we are consuming technology. It's become so ingrained into our daily lives now that we are unable to function without it. And because of that, we, all of us on this call are fortunate enough to not be 10 years old growing up with this. And being a child growing up with this is extremely, extremely dangerous. It's dangerous for your mind, it's dangerous for your well-being, it's dangerous for your identity as a person, as to who you are and versus who you want to be and all of these things. It's just so dangerous because you're exposed to things at a time where your mind is so vulnerable and is the word malleable?
0: Malleable?
1: Yeah, malleable, yeah, that's it. Yeah, malleable, yeah. And so I feel as if, We need to learn to police ourselves in order to save ourselves from ourselves. And that's one thing I think we need to do because you don't realise it, but you'll hear little things in people's houses these days like, oh, yeah, well, my child isn't going to eat their dinner unless they're watching. Mm -mm -mm." And it's like, oh, what do you mean? What do you mean they're not going to eat their dinner unless they're watching something? Like that that's that to me is not healthy there's lots of practices that are now going on that are becoming so ingrained that is is we're being consumed by a consumption loop and it's never ending and it's never gonna end and i feel like we need to be doing so much more to protect ourselves and the next generation of people so the best thing i would say is you have to learn to police yourself Mm,
0: yeah absolutely You've talked in your writing um, about suicidal thoughts um, and I know that um, in the UK, men remain much more likely to die by suicide is um, one of the leading causes of death for young men. It's obviously a really big issue so we're not going to be able to get through all of it here, but I wonder in your experience what do you think we can do, to, or what can be done I suppose, to reduce the number of men that we lose to suicide?
1: I think It's really important that we create safe environments, and that doesn't literally mean physical buildings. It's like mentally, emotionally, psychologically safe environments, where, and again, it's like something I'm checking myself with because I have a tendency to talk over people once I've once I've asked them something. So I need to be like, shut up and saying, "What are you doing? You've asked someone a question. Let them answer it, and and believe the answers you're hearing. And if someone is beginning to open up to you don't brush it off the problem is everybody gets caught up especially if you like live in a big city like life moves so fast and you've promised someone you were going to catch up with them and before you know it it's happy new year and it's like the year the year's gone and we don't get the time that we used to get when we was younger so it's about making time for people it's about listening to people
0: thanks so much for talking to us today Hussein. before we let you go we've got just a couple more questions every week we ask the same three questions um of all of our guests and so our first question I'm gonna hand you over to Naomi what's one bit of
2: advice that you wish you had known earlier
1: well I don't know if it's advice it's more like a fact is nobody knows what they're doing so don't worry
2: that is
0: such a good one
1: <laughs> no it's true nobody n- nobody knows what they're doing and. um with that being said, just don't worry, relax, you'll be fine.
0: Yeah, brilliant advice. What's one piece of art that gives you hope for the future?
1: I mean, that Destiny's Child uh, Writing on the Wall album is such a powerful album. I find the music and the words in that really hit home. That Survivor song, oh, and that um, Dangerously in Love, and there's so many, there's so many from that era of life that. That still ring true today. I also love the work of Banksy. I think Banksy's work is absolutely incredible, the way it appears and speaks without speaking.
0: Yeah, there's so much strength in Survivor, right? Yeah, it's
1: a good one.
2: So lastly, what's one thing that our listeners could do today to make tomorrow better?
1: The best thing is just get on with it. Your dreams, your goals, your aspirations, just get on with it. I've realised nobody's going to come into your bedroom and do it for you. Small steps win the race. And if you could do something small today, do it again tomorrow, do it again tomorrow, you'll develop a better routine than you had to begin with. And just get on with it is the best thing I can say to anybody because we have these goals and we have these dreams and aspirations. And sometimes we say we're going to do it, when we don't ever do it just do it now do it right now stop listening to me and do it right now it's important because um we don't ever do it and time is short
2: thanks for listening to BetterPod. if you'd like to support us please subscribe leave a review and tell your friends We're relying on word of mouth to bring people into our conversation and to help us all discover how we can act today for a better tomorrow.
0: You can keep up with all the Big Issues reporting at bigissue.com where you can also discover where to find your local vendor.